Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time you are tuning in. Welcome to Homesteading and Gardening in the Suburbs. I'm Emma from Misfit Gardening and today I want to talk about how to start a self-reliant garden because I hear all the time that starting a garden is really expensive and it really doesn't need to be and when I first started my very first garden um, it didn't really cost me anything. Um, I had some seeds that I had gotten out of a gardening magazine um, back in back in the UK and I didn't um, I didn't really know what I was doing I'd asked my mom and dad like hey I really want to grow a garden um, and some veggies can I do that and the only place where I could do that where they would let me grow it um, was behind the back of the shed underneath the apple tree so it was like the shadiest place um, in in the garden but I had some some seeds of, I think it was like leafy greens or something like that. And I just grabbed the shovel that was in the shed and I just started making, you know, space in the backyard. And I turned all the soil over. I sowed the seeds that I'd gotten because I'd love reading the gardening magazines because they were always full of like helpful info, not just from, um, you know, growing fruit and vegetables, but they also had things for, you know, taking care of flowers and perennials and lawn care and that kind of stuff. And that's how I used to earn my pocket money was doing the gardening for mum and dad. Um, so, and pocket money is your allowance here in the US. Um, so, you know, that's that's one of the things that I used to do. But um, the seed packets came for free in the magazine. And, you know, I bought the magazine, not every week, like, you know, every couple of months or something like that, particularly if there was an interesting article or whatnot. And I really wish that I still had those magazines. I, I left them um, all in the UK um, when I, when I relocated. Um, so, you know, occasionally I will be, you know, on the phone with my mum and dad and I'm like, hey, I'm sure I saw in one of these magazines, um, that there was an article about this. Do you still have that? And, you know, my dad will go through and, because he took a bunch of cuttings out of the magazines before getting rid of them. Um, so some of them he has, some of them not so much. <laughs> um, but, you know, really that, that was all that I got to get started was a packet of seeds that came free in a magazine and, um, you know, a shovel that I'd borrowed from my parents. And, you know, if you need tools to get started with your garden, you know, ask friends, ask family. Um, you could even ask a neighbour if you're friendly with your neighbours. Um, there are like websites and things where you can um, borrow tools um oh my gosh i can't remember the name of it neighborly something like that um you know so there are options for you um the other thing of course is to see if there's something going super cheap at a yard sale or on the local classifieds um even the thrift store i can't tell you how many times i've been to the thrift store and i've seen gardening tools and my husband's having to drag me away from the gardening tools because I don't need any more but I'm, I'm a real sucker for like antique gardening tools um you know the the garden hoe that I had um was my great great grandfather's it was like this sucker was old and it worked incredibly well still you know it was very well cared for um it did the job so I'm, I'm a little bit of a sucker for for old gardening tools so I always end up looking at them um which now I'm going to be in really dangerous territory moving to New England because 
Like wherever I look, there seems to be like an antique store or like a picker's yard thing. So um, yeah, I might be might be getting myself some antique tools. Um, but you know, you don't need to really own a lot of this stuff to get started. And you know, if you start your garden, you know, properly, um, and you know, you you start off on the right foot, um, you know you don't need to be doing a lot of digging and um, all of that good stuff moving forwards. Um, you know, certainly if you've got a raised bed, um, you know, you don't really need, um, you know, garden tools at all. Um, the other thing, of course, is, you know, when you've got a self-reliant garden, you don't really need to be buying fertilizer, pesticides or other common gardening inputs. And even if you're getting started in building your garden beds and, you know, looking to improve your soil, there's always ways that you can get things for very cheap or free. Um, you know, I, I have a friend who gets manure from a farm not too far from her, um, where the lady who owns the horses doesn't give them um, hay or straw that's been treated with um, pesticides so she's able to get that for free I know in the UK um, you know people would leave like bags of manure in like the old horse feed um, bags you know and it was just left on the side of the road with a little sign that says for free um, here in the US I've definitely seen you know where you can get it for free um, asking a, a stable um, and sometimes you know they'll give it to you for free if you muck out um, so if you don't mind uh, mucking out a stable or two to load up, um, you know, a truck or some bags in your car, then that's that's another way to do it as well. Um, other, you know, free materials that often come around um, are definitely something that's seasonal and that's fall leaves and if you're looking at building your garden beds or you're wanting some mulch um, you know or some you know brown material to add into your compost bin, well, you know, fall is well, I mean, fall is technically here. We are past the 22nd of September, which is the uh, the fall equinox. So we're definitely in fall now. Um, but, you know, that's a really, you know, easy to get hold of um, free material and people want them, you know, they don't want them on their lawns. They don't, um, you know, they're paying for them to be collected by the trash. And that always made me sad because I use fall leaves all the time in my garden like they're a, an amazing addition to the compost they're also really great for helping enrich the soil and the test garden bed that I had that was all that I would add to it was compost and um, leaves so I, in fall we would just rake all the leaves over to the test bed leave them there and it has taken the soil that we're on which is incredibly sandy um like it's more sand than anything um where i am currently living and it has changed it to this beautiful loamy soil that grows incredibly well so uh leaves dead easy to get hold of cardboard too like if you're starting um a garden bed from scratch and you want to do the lasagna garden where you're just kind of sheet layering things so you want a nice layer to block out the weeds on grass 
you know cardboard you can often find that for free as well so you know starting a self-reliant garden there's there's things that you can do to you know really save money and actually a self-reliant garden can even break you away from needing to buy seeds every year and that's where a lot of the cost would come in for you know somebody that was starting a garden is the seeds and the plants right if you're buying starts from a big box store you're going to be paying a lot more than you are for a packet of seeds and seed prices have risen like there's no denying that I've talked about that before um, on the podcast like I remember paying uh, you know a dollar 99 for a packet of organic like certified organic seeds and now they're like $2.99 or $3.99 or $3.50 you know I've even paid $4.50 $5.50 for a packet of seeds depending on where you go so it pays to kind of shop around and have a look for seeds um, but if you're looking for something that's kind of rare then you're going to be expecting to pay for it but there's ways that you can start off very low cost or no cost at all and that's by getting into some seed saving groups, um, homesteading groups, gardening groups, and, you know, just talking to people and asking if they have something that is available. Certainly in seed saving groups, um, people are always looking for people to help grow out seeds, and that's where they'll send you some seeds. You can grow them. You, um, have to um, save seeds from the plants so um, definitely look into how to save seeds from certain types of plants if you're interested in doing this but more often than not they'll allow you to keep some of those seeds or some of the produce and then you know you would send the remainder of those seeds back um, different growers have different stipulations so you know some people they want to keep that variety pure um, keep that varietal purity so keep things true to type so you would only really want to be growing that one variety unless you've got the know-how to um, prevent cross-pollination and things so that's a good way to get started another good way is just to kind of browse through um, the exchange on seed savers exchange um, I've had a number of people um, where I've requested seeds and asked like how they want to be paid and they've told me that there isn't any payment necessary and they've just sent them directly to me um, with a note that said you know pay it forward when you can so part of the things I've been doing over the last year is working to save seed and um, start to develop a a strategy for um, being able to save seed enough that I could then share through the Seed Savers Exchange. So there's there's a, a whole heap of different gardeners, different growers um, who are all growing seeds and then sharing them within you know the wider gardening community. So it's always worth to kind of check out um, what's available through there because you know you might get somebody who is you know willing to share them to you for free so you don't necessarily need a lot to get started um again asking in facebook groups and stuff like that that's a good way um but just make sure that you are abiding by those group rules um because you know they often get a lot of people that will be asking for things um for free so um check you know check the rules before you post another great way that you can look into it is seed libraries and um i want to say this is a movement that started in canada maybe um I believe it was by a teacher um, 
but the the premise is that you know just like you go to your normal library to check out books and things for free they have seeds that you can do the same thing so you're able to you know check out a small portion of seeds to you know then grow in your garden and you know if you're able to save seeds and replenish them later in the season then you know that's often very much encouraged um so definitely take a look at those you can just do a little search on the internet um, and see if there is one near you all right so what is being self-sufficient to you in your garden right what is that question for you? Um, how would you answer it? Is it not needing to buy anything from outside of your homestead? Is it being able to keep the circle of the seasons? So grow from seed to garden, garden to table and garden to seed. And, th- you know, this this particular um, podcast is really about a self-sufficient garden that's going to grow seed to seed because, you know, a garden that is going to produce food no matter how the season and climate will change without all the external inputs. That is true kind of self-sufficiency and self-reliance at its best. And if you're brand new to growing a garden, right, you're going to need to decide the location where your garden will grow. You want your garden site to be based on where the plants are going to get the most amount of sunlight a day. So that's usually somewhere that is going to be facing south. Plants need at least eight hours of sun. The more sun, the better for most plants. And um, there's a couple of different posts that I I've written on the blog about how to get started with your garden and I can link those up in the description. But um, really, you know, the best self-sufficient gardens grow seed to seed. And when you're starting a garden, you need to have seeds and plants to grow in it, right? We just talked a little bit about those. Um, But you can grow lots of different types of seeds, right? You can grow heirlooms, you can grow open pollinated, you can grow hybrid, you can grow organic, and you can grow open source seeds. But there's a couple of different approaches that you can choose for your garden. And are you somebody who wants reliability from the very beginning? Or are you somebody that loves to experiment and explore? right? Because there's, there's a couple of different types of gardeners when it comes to growing your own food. So which type are you? So let's start with the first one, which is I'm dependable and reliable. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm in a job interview. Like, what are your greatest skills? I'm dependable and reliable. Um, <laughs> you know that you're a dependable and reliable homestead gardener because you want tried and true varieties, right? You, you want plants that you know will consistently grow and yield in your garden. Those that you know how they grow and what your likely harvests are going to look like, right? You want to reduce the risk in your garden, right? You tend to stick with varieties of plants that you know well, right? Varieties that you've heard of. Maybe it's things like Amish paste tomatoes, which are very popular, right? You do your homework um, and if you see something interesting in, um, you know, the gardening magazine or, you know, in the catalogue, right? If you see something interesting, you're going to see if others in your region have had success growing it. You're going to do a bit of homework and find out, is this going to be, you know, working for you where you live? Is it worth spending the money on? Now, the, on the other hand of the uh, the gardening spectrum, you've got, I'm the experimental explorer, right? And you know that you're the experimenting and the exploring homestead gardener because you love to try something new in your garden, right? You're, 
you're in love browsing through the seed catalogs or exchanging seeds with people because a variety looked super interesting or maybe just straight up the name was really awesome and you were like I need to grow this because that's a really cool name or I need to grow this because that looks really crazy you don't mind if things don't work in your garden. It was fun just to try it and see. And if it didn't grow, you swap the seeds for something new to try, right? It doesn't, doesn't matter if it didn't grow for you. Now, when you're choosing what seeds to grow in your self-reliant garden, it somewhat depends on which homestead gardener type you are, right? Because the basic idea for your self-sufficient garden is to grow plants and save seeds from those that are growing well. And then you want to grow the plants that are thriving in your garden because this is then adapting and then going to help your garden excel each year. And the ability to grow in your garden and the climate you have is passed on to those seeds, right? If you've heard me talk about kind of land raised seeds getting started this is kind of like how how like we as a homestead have evolved into this now to have a self-sufficient garden you have to save your seeds right if you're growing a garden that's seed to seed and you truly want to be self-sufficient then you absolutely need to be saving your seeds and the best gardens are going to grow with seeds that are local because they're adapted to the growing conditions in the area and you also want and need the seeds to freely pollinate to increase that genetic diversity and this is what brings in resilience and the ability for your garden to keep thriving no matter the weather the pests or the diseases that are happening in there so you save the seeds from those plants that you enjoyed eating and those that grew well right that you want those two in combination right it grew really well you ate the fruit or you ate whatever it was that was growing you liked it save the seeds from it the following year you replant the seeds that you saved you taste the plants you save the seeds from those that you love to eat the most next year you replant those seeds and you continue that process of saving seeds, tasting the plants, replanting it, right? This is how you create a land race variety. And this is how gardening's been done for not just decades, but hundreds of years, thousands of years. This is how plants became domesticated from the wild and have now become the the varieties that we we love to eat and grow so let's break this down for each homestead gardener type so let's start with the explorer right what the explorer gardener would do is plant a, a few different varieties of the same plant close together let's say you're planting three to six varieties right you want to plant them so that they all have enough room to grow but you don't want to worry about trying to stop them from cross-pollinating right so let's say that you've got um i don't know some lettuce right you're having a look at the seed packet you can grow them you know six to eight inches apart you probably want to maybe plant them six inches apart right so you're going to put all those seeds out let them grow together and then um, you're going to taste them. Let's say that they all tasted great and you're like, these are fantastic. So you're taking a few leaves off each one, right? And then you're just going to let them grow and grow and grow until they eventually go to seed. And you're just going to let them all come, come up to seed and you're going to save the seeds together. And then the next year that you're going to plant those seeds, um, you know, that you've saved rather than those from the seed packet. 
right? You don't need to worry about the cross-pollinating, right? If you're an explorer gardener, then, you know, you can plant heirloom varieties, you can plant open-pollinated, even F1 hybrid varieties if you really want to, right? There's a lot of opportunity for you to kind of plant things, right? Especially if you're not worried about things cross-pollinating, this is only going to be for, for you and your garden, right? You're not going to be trying to sell the seed or anything later on, because um, if you are, then I would skip putting in the F1 hybrid varieties, okay? Um, because some of the F1 hybrids that um, you you know, that are there, they are um, plant variety protected. They have a PVP on them, um, so which restricts um, how you can save the seed. Um, they may also have other types of patents on them, so um, you might want to give those a skip. If you're interested in patents, then you want to be um, listening to the podcast episode um, about um, patents and plants that I did with um, the Open Source Seed Initiative. Um, so definitely check that out. All right. So if you're the explorer, you've got all you, you've got your three to six varieties, right? You've planted them out. You want to let them all grow together. You want to let the bees, the bugs, and the wind do their thing and move the pollen around these plants, right? You want to try the fruits and veggies that you're growing, right? If you loved it, save the seeds to grow next year. If you didn't like it don't bother saving the seeds. Easy peasy, right? The next year, grow the seeds that you saved. Plant them out in the garden, allow that pollen to move naturally between the plants, right? If you've got squashes growing, you want to let the bees and, and the other um, bugs kind of move that pollen between the plants, right? Try the fruits and veggies again. Save the seeds from those that grew really well and those that you love the taste, right? Continue the growing out and seed saving. And if you want to try adding new varieties of plants as you are growing and saving seeds, then do it. This is your garden and you can grow it how you want to. But by doing this process of saving seeds each year from your garden, you are starting to develop a land race. And I know that I keep talking about developing land races, but I think there's so much power in having plants and varieties that are consistently going to be producing for you on your homestead. And if you're looking at having self-reliance and self-sufficiency, but you are not doing this, then you are not growing a self-sufficient or self-reliant garden and homestead, right? You are missing a huge piece here. And this is such a big piece that you know, is easily going to be, you know, having a bigger return on your investment, right? Like plants are incredibly prolific. They want to, you know, make seeds and have more and more plants, right? Um, have you ever opened up a pumpkin, right? We're coming up to Halloween pretty soon. Um, as I'm recording this, it's the end of September. Um, but, you know, if you've ever scooped out a pumpkin, like look at how many seeds that are in there. You know, if you've eaten an apple and seen the seeds that, in there, that are in there, right? Plants want to to propagate, right? And saving your own seeds, you are very, very quickly going to end up with so many seeds that you don't know what to, to do with it all. So why would you be spending, you know, $3.50 a packet of seeds, $4 a packet of seeds, right? I mean, maybe if you're lucky, you can find some for $1.99, or a dollar, right? But most seed packets seem to be around $2.99 to 
450 is what I've what I've seen um, here in the US. So you know why why wouldn't you be growing your own um, and saving seeds and creating something that you know is going to be growing well? So let's talk about this. If you are the reliable gardener, right? If you're the reliable gardener, do some research on the varieties that are going to perform well in your area, right? Maybe you call up the um, extension the uh, the university extension um where you are like they often have a gardening section um or they have master gardeners that you can talk to about different varieties that grow well like with me moving to new england i can tell you i have done an internet search on varieties that grow well in maine because that's where we're moving to <laughs> and i want to see like what varieties are going to be growing well i've also looked up you know what the typical season is what the gardening zone is right i'm going from a zone 7a to a zone 4b right i've got a much shorter growing season so because of that i'm starting to look at what is it that we've you know that i currently have what varieties are going to be able to mature within that time frame so if you're kind of the reliable gardener, then definitely do some research on those varieties that perform well. If you have been gardening, you will want to be growing those varieties that perform well that you found through your research with ones that you already grow and love in your garden. You want to allow that pollen to move naturally between plants because this is how that land race is started this is how you start to have in that robustness and the the reliance and the ability for your plants to cope with the changes in climate or whatever else is being thrown at your garden right if you are really worried and you want to keep your heirloom varieties and you want to keep them you know true to the the type then grow glow glow your project no grow your project Oh my gosh, I definitely need more coffee this morning. You want to grow your seed saving and self-sufficient um, project or your land race project in a separate part of the garden or use tools to prevent cross-pollination. So things like cages with floating row cover on them. And you want to make sure that you've got a couple of your favorite heirlooms in with your varieties that you were developing for your land race though. So let's say um let's let's go to squashes because they're really easy to to do and they they like to really cross pollinate right so there's multiple different varieties of squash right you've got your cucurbita peppos which are things like your acorn squash your zucchinis patty pans um those kind of plants and your spaghetti squash you have your cucurbita maxima which are things like uh some of your pumpkins um you can get some of the big field pumpkins they are part of the pepo the cucurbita pepos um but some other pumpkins are part of the cucurbita maxima um so you'll need to kind of have a look on the seed packet to see which variety it is um but they they tend to be things like your um oh uh marina di chioga chioga my Italian's not great and I've probably um, butchered the pronunciation of that but it's called like the warty um, sea pumpkin 
Uh, it's delicious, by the way. Um, also, things like your buttercup squashes are part of the, the Maxima family. Um, and then you have your Cocubitum moschatas, which are things like your Long Island cheese pumpkin, um, butternut squashes, Seminole pumpkins, right? They're all part of the moschata family. So those three different families um, of... Um, Pump, uh, pumpkin and squashes so the papos the maximas and the moschatas and um, they don't cross pollinate with each other or it's very very rare that they would cross pollinate between them but they readily cross pollinate between um, members of the same family so for your pepos if you have got a field pumpkin that is part of the pepo family it will cross with your patty pan squashes or your um zucchinis that are growing nearby but it's not going to cross with the um butternut squash let's say that you're growing um so let's say let's take the pepos right as, as an example so let's say that you have um a dark star zucchini which you absolutely adore uh you've got a romanesco zucchini that you also really really like and then um let's say that you were doing some research and you found that um i don't know black beauty and there's uh, i don't know um a yellow variety that you really really wanted to try but and they grew really well in your area so you would grow your dark star uh your patty pans your romanesco and the yellow one you would grow them together or very close to each other in your garden um because you're still growing varieties that you you know and love right your dark star and um the romanesco right those are the ones that you really like now you're adding in a couple more which are kind of unknown um so you can add those into your project and allow the the bees to kind of pollinate between them right and you're gonna eat them let's say that you thought oh these are all really good right you'll then want to let a couple go big enough so that they become seed. And if you wanted to keep some that were going to be just, you know, you want to keep that variety. So let's say you want to do the dark star zucchini, right? And you want to keep those as being dark star zucchini. So you're going to grow one within your land race project, but then you're also going to grow another couple of plants in a different area where you can make sure that they're not cross-pollinating with anything else and you can save the seeds from there so that's a good way that you can have um you know a backup for your seeds right if you find that when you go to plant out those seeds again they're not quite what you're expecting you don't really like them um you know you can go go back to the original varieties so if um you know you're more of a reliable gardener you are still going to follow this trying the the taste of the fruits and vegetables and saving those seeds from those that you really liked and grew well you're still going to follow that that process right you're going to grow out the saved seed from the land race that you did and try and grow as many plants as you can right grow your heirlooms still in another part of the garden or you can grow your land race project in a test bed area so you're still going to allow that pollination to happen naturally but without kind of dedicating like a massive space in your garden and that's exactly what we did um here on our homestead was i had a test bed area that's exactly what i called it, it was the test bed 
And it was over by the greenhouse and the shed. And that's where I would put varieties that I had never grown before that I wanted to see how they were going to perform before adding them out into the main garden, right? And it was good because plants that didn't like make it in the test bed, I didn't even bother growing them out in the main bed. So it was a good way for me to kind of see what's going to grow um to how i garden without kind of dedicating a lot of space to it in in the main garden so it, it was a really good way to kind of you know weed out um you know those un underperformers and um, so i'm only sort of moving things that are growing well into the main garden to become part of the the bigger land race project so when it comes to adding uh, varieties to your self-sufficient garden like really as you continue to grow out and save seeds from your land race you're gonna you know there's gonna be a point where you want to add new varieties from time to time and there's a myriad of different reasons why you would want to add new varieties um sometimes it's good just to get a flush of new genetics in there because then you start to see things like you know vigor coming back within um your land race um you know also known as um inbreeding depression is often seen especially if you're only saving seed from a small number of plants um, adding in different varieties helps to you know refresh the genetics a little bit right it's like running um you know some of that like washing machine dye stuff like on like if you've ever had like you know dark colored pants and stuff that have faded and then you add in some of that refresh stuff to your washing machine when you're washing um you know your clothing and then it's like it takes away that kind of like weird gray color right and gives it a refresh same kind of thing right adding in your new uh variety from time to time is going to give your seeds a bit of a refresh right it's going to help them stay healthy it's going to help keep that diversity in there and remember it's that diversity of the genetics which is the key for your success with this kind of land race garden it's that genetic diversity that's got that memory in there of how to cope with different stresses in the environment so you can add the plants of different varieties to your normal garden if you're okay with the cross-pollination and you don't mind selecting the plants for traits later uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute um, but a more cautious approach that really saves you time in the long run would be to try that variety first in a test garden or test bed area, just like I explained that I did. That way you can see if the variety will grow well first and then you're only going to be putting the best of the best into your land race and self-sufficient garden project, right? Because if your plant, you know, your trial plant variety grows really well, you save those seeds, you're going to plant them out in the main garden with the land race variety that you've already been developing the next season. You're going to allow that natural movement of pollen again, select the seeds based on those traits that you're looking for, like flavor, how well the plant grew, shape, texture, whatever it is. And, um, you know, you're going to choose those traits to grow for the plants to then pass off to their offspring, right? If you are wanting just to kind of put those, you know, random seeds in each time in like directly into the land race, that's totally fine too. But when it comes to growing out those seeds from the next season, you're going to need to kind of hone in a bit more. So you're going to see a lot more like different traits and things that are going to 
pop up and you're going to need to do um, a lot more selecting so um let's say that i don't know let's let's say that it's melons that are growing and you added one in um you know variety that you really liked but let's say that the offspring um that came about had like a weird bitterness to the melon when you tried them um you are gonna have to then the subsequent years you're gonna have to kind of root out those varieties that tasted kind of bitter by not saving seed from those um and then kind of working on only saving seed from varieties that didn't taste bitter they tasted really sweet planting those out and then again like checking that next next season like oh that one was bitter okay let's not save seed from that one these ones were all good save seeds from those grow those ones out again so it's going to take a little bit longer to do that and that's why I recommend doing it in a trial bed first because you can get a feel for how it's growing too so you can grow it the same way that you would in the main garden right and you're not losing a year because you're going to be able to save the seeds from that year that you've grown it because it's already kind of adapted to how you are growing you know your garden at that point and then you're going to introduce it into your land race variety so again i recommend the test garden approach if you've got space um because it helps you to keep that curiosity of growing new varieties without having all the extra work later of trying to remove those unwanted traits and i know that it seems almost too easy right you know when it comes to having a self-sufficient garden grow the seeds taste it if you liked it and it grows well save the seed and this really is self-reliant gardening right you can move well away not only from the grocery store for your vegetables but needing to purchase seeds all the time too remember that this is how plants have been domesticated into the fruits and vegetables that we have today and generations of homesteaders gardeners and farmers did this you don't need a stem degree that's a science technology engineering and math um degree from an ivy league school to do this you don't need that like none of these homesteaders gardeners and farmers you know had a background in you know biology genetics or anything like that they just saved like seeds from plants that they knew that they liked the taste of and that grew incredibly well so you know there's there's lots of opportunities there and don't be afraid of seed saving like you know if you're trying to you know keep an, an heirloom variety just like an heirloom then yes that comes with additional complexity to be able to to maintain but if you're looking at growing a land race um, then that helps things become a lot easier because it doesn't matter if it's cross-pollinated because that's what you're looking for you're wanting that cross-pollination because that's diversity that's coming into the genetics so let's talk about some um, tips for success so you might recall that growing seed from uh, an f1 hybrid means that you're going to get plants that look different from the plant that you save the seeds from and this is normal it's the diversity in the genetics showing up it's not genetic modification it's not gmo or at least the legal definition of gmo um you know gmo is where you are um changing the genetics of the plant on you know a cellular level this isn't what you're doing this is traditional plant breeding 
breeding okay so don't worry that you're making gmos or anything like that um, but when you grow out an f1 hybrid you're going to see lots of different variations that that happen right so if you're growing um you know seeds from a plant that you grew at the grocery store you're gonna see some weird and wonderful things like you're not gonna see like i don't know like a melon with ears on it or anything like that or a melon that's like half a melon half something else that's that's not what i mean like you might see like different shapes of melon or you might see plants that are more bushy plants that are growing a long way right you're gonna see differences in plants like like that um but if you're worried about those kind of things then you know start your land race and self-sufficient gardening projects using heirlooms and open pollinated seeds instead don't even bother with the f1 hybrids and you really don't need to my next tip is to start your self-sufficient garden slowly develop one or two land races at a time so that you can learn the skills of seed saving storage and selection and start with easy seed saving plants first right broad beans aka fava beans okra runner beans there's a lot of beans actually beans are really easy to save seed from <laughs> um corn cucumber melons squash eggplant peppers they're all easy to save seed from and are easy to start converting to land race seeds so start with some of those easy plants and then work your way up to things that are a little bit more difficult um don't worry if varieties cross-pollinate and you get some unusual colors shapes or sizes okay um th these these things happen maybe it's something that you want to keep going maybe it isn't i really want to grow a gray blue colored banana squash i think that would be really cool it'll be pretty gnarly looking i just want to do it for the novelty value not for any particular reason so sometimes when weird things happen right it's it's kind of cool for other people so it might be something that kind of grows naturally and you're like that looks really awesome i want to keep growing that um something weird's happened in my garden with beans so i had a random volunteer bean that's grown up um i haven't um it grew where i hadn't planted any beans um so it either come through the compost or it was something um that had fallen and had kind of happened naturally in the garden but it's a pole bean and it is a a green bean very delicious as green beans i must say but as they get older they start turning from green to purple and inside there's um you know there's black beans which are really good as drying beans so i've got this kind of really weird um you know plant that is i mean from a visual perspective it's really easy because i know as a gardener like oh those beans are going purple they're going to be ready for drying beans really soon and oh no they're you know the green beans are all there like they're good as fresh eating um but the, the pods grow pretty long so this is a a variety that i saw totally by accident um in the garden one day i was like oh i didn't grow green beans here that's kind of weird um and i harvested a couple gave some to my friend um you know so she could enjoy some she was like these are really good and i was like yeah they are pretty good <laughs> and then i went back and noticed that they had purple pots on them i was like that's weird they were green um and then you know let them dry and now i've got these really interesting drying beans so i've got this variety that's just popped up all on its own through a random cross-pollination that's happened and now i'm saving seeds from it because 
it's got some really great traits that I want to continue. So, you know, sometimes something weird happens, but it works out for the best. Incidentally, if you're part of the Facebook group, um, I've got some pictures of that variety that is on there and um, running a bit of a challenge for you guys to uh, come up with a name for this uh, variety that's just randomly appeared. So I'd love to see what your suggestions are. So if you're not part of the Facebook group, get in there. And if you're in the Facebook group, then let me know, come up with a name for this variety. Um, and my last tip is try not to be hard on yourself if some plants don't taste good or even if some plants fail. Remember that when it comes to having a self-sufficient and self-reliant garden, it's really survival of the fittest and most tasty. If it doesn't taste good, don't save the seeds. And if it doesn't work in your garden, that's just fine. Like you don't want plants that you're going to have to you know, pamper and hover over like every three minutes to, you know, get it to grow, right? You want something that's going to be able to grow on its own because then that gives you the opportunity to do the other stuff that needs to be done on the homestead, right? And of course, the other side of having a more self-sufficient garden is using what you already have on the homestead, right? So, you know, using grass clippings in your compost, making your own compost, using leaves from the fall trees in your compost, right? Generating your own compost from scraps out of the kitchen and then using that to then feed your garden again, using things like green manures um, or cover crops to help feed your soil. And I go into a lot of this as part of the mini training for an intensive garden. So check that out. There are definitely a whole heap of information on um, my website that you can check out there. And I also did it as a podcast. So you can check those out too, wherever you are tuning into this one. I hope you found this episode helpful. Um, if you did, please let me know. And I always love to hear uh, from you guys, especially those of you that are in the Facebook group. So um, if you're not part of the Facebook community, definitely check out the link in the description of this podcast. Make sure you fill out all of the questions though. If you don't fill them all out, then my team doesn't know to let you in. They think it's spam. Um, So please make sure you fill out all the questions and, um, you know, let me know how your garden's growing and what your suggestions are for this weird bean variety that I have in the garden. Until next week, I hope your garden grows beautifully and I will see you all next week.